Hi, this is Steve Krauss. Welcome to the Future of Coding. Today I have Emmanuel Strachnov here. He's the creator of Bubble.is, which is a do-it-yourself coding platform. Uh, it allows business people and product, developer, uh, product managers to build, like basically program computers, but without code. It's, uh, you know, a lot of these phrases will be familiar to people, listeners of the podcast. It's like, kind of like the dream of what we're all trying to create. Um, but what's unique about uh, you guys is that it's a, um, you guys like a business that like actually has customers that are paying. It's like pretty, pretty unheard of in this space. Um, so um, I guess one of the, one of the things that, that struck me when I first heard about you guys is how quickly you got your first paying customer. Can you talk, can you give us like the timeline of how that happened? Sure. Well, firstly, uh, good morning. Hello, everyone. Um, so I don't know if it happened that quickly. It took about a year to get, to get, first customer. To get our first paying customer. Uh, my co-founder, Josh, uh, started Bubble. At that time, it wasn't called Bubble. Uh, late 2011, like December 2011, I think was the first commit on GitHub. And we got our first paying customer in um, 2012, December 2012. Uh, I think one of the things that made that we founded the first customer was our early decision not to go for developers, but to go for people that were not technical. Because what was happening in 2012, and it's still the case today, probably even more today, that a ton of people had ideas to start websites, uh, like startups. Uh, so I wouldn't say website, it's more like you know, um, tech startup that has a fairly simple application, but that requires like a web application. And so a ton of people wanted to build things, and it was extremely hard, you know, there was a post-Facebook IPO time, uh, it was extremely hard to find tech people, and so if you go to them saying, we have this solution, it's a bit limited, but it might get you to actually try something and you tell them, by the way, it's gonna be $50 a month because that was our first price point. They're like, okay, sure. I mean, not everyone would say yeah, that, but a ton of people would say, okay, sure. Uh, and that's how we found our first people. Got it, so I, I w your first customer was $50 a month. Yeah. Yeah. I remember at, at some point, one of your early customers turned into a, a larger customer, almost more of like a consulting customer. Yeah, so that, that's, um, that happened two years after, like at, um, in 2014. Got it. So one year after you were getting fifty dollars a month customers, right? And then another year after that, you were, you got we got a much bigger one, uh, which actually enabled us to uh, survive a lot uh, in the early days. It was not a consulting; it was more like we. Be, it was a funded startup in San Francisco, and they needed to build a product. It was they outsourced the version one. Building the version two was complicated for them. Mm. Um, with another outsourcing firm and um, like what was that? You... With another outsourcing company, would have been impossible. Mm. Evolving the first version was impossible as well. So they basically were in a situation where they had like business deals lined up and the product was not following. And what happened is that hired they hired one of our very early users um, mm. that brought us in. Wow. They were in a situation where they were like in a very bad situation, I think. Um, and what happened is. Um, when people are in a bad situation, they make bold moves. And so the bold move was to use Bubble. And so with them, we had a special deal where basically we were building a lot of features at their request. I mean, we, that's features we would probably have built anyway, but we basically guarantee that we would change a little bit our roadmap to make sure that that would work for them. And we got that in exchange of a, of a much bigger payment. That seems like a, a dream situation. Yeah, I think we're pretty lucky. Uh, but um, I mean, there are some disadvantages. I mean, uh, of course, you depend a lot on one customer. You certainly do things that you were not certainly planning on doing. 
like I would assume like 70% of what we did for them uh, was useful for everyone, but their 30% honestly, that was not necessarily the best thing to do. So there is a cost, but on the other hand, having a steady income is very valuable uh, in the early days, especially if you are bootstrapping. I mean, without them, it would have been very hard to bootstrap. Yeah. So it, it seems like it happened almost by accident to some extent. Like you, you, you yeah. yeah, I mean, we certainly did not try to find them. Um, so if that's what you mean by accident. Um, I wouldn't say it's an accident in the sense that it's actually good. It has been a pattern so far with our larger clients. It's, it's always an existing user that gets hired by that client mm. that brings us in. Fascinating. Which, so the $50 a month customers are really just lead gen for when they get hired. Yeah, even though I th- I'm not entirely sure, but I think the one that joined that startup never even paid. He was a free mm, customer, but so funny. It doesn't matter, honestly. Like at that time, you know, the number of fifty dollars clients we had was very low. You know? Got it. So, if if you were recommending to someone who's trying to start a business in this space, would you give any sort of advice to like strategically get a big customer like you guys got, or you can't really shoot for it that way? It's a bit tricky because uh, you don't want to fall into consulting business. Uh, I mean, maybe you want, and then you'll be a consultant, and it's fine but it's not necessarily what you want to do. Um, For us, we were fortunate enough, but it was really, to be honest, because of the nature of what we were building. Like, we almost never built anything with them on Bubble. We just were adding features on Bubble so that they had two people basically in-house building them. I mean, there were a few rush where I remember helping them adding a few elements to the application on a weekend or something, but that was never the core of our service. So for us, it didn't feel like consulting. Totally. Uh, And again, it probably was a perturbation for a little bit of time and uh, mostly beneficial for the platform for the remaining time. Uh, for I would say like 70% of the time. But um, So you have to be tricky. If you find such a deal, it's perfect. Yeah. It's, uh, it has to be the right business. It has to be the right customer. Got it. It's, um, yeah. Totally. So you mentioned uh, you, you guys bootstrapped the business. Yeah. How, that's, in a lot of ways, that's like not the, the traditional path for a startup. So... Like, how did you come to that decision to like bootstrap the business? So we decided that very early on. Uh, it was mostly based on two things. Uh, one emotional and one, I would say, more rational. And I can't say, uh, I can't even say whether they were smart or not. I think so far it's worked out for us. So the emotional thing was we started a company to be our own bosses and we didn't really feel like having someone telling us what to do. And some people say that investors are not necessarily that involved. It's not necessarily how I felt it at the time. Uh, and maybe I was wrong and Josh was basically on the same page uh, with me. Uh, but so that's how we felt about it. So we were like, why would we have someone tell us what to do? Let's just do that ourselves. Uh, then the second thing was from the beginning, we felt that what we were trying to do was probably too long term from what I was hearing at the time from VCs, hmm. uh, from people that would deal with VCs. Um, basically like dealing with someone that has like LP pressure, like limited partners who have, you know, they commit their money for a few years and like five years or seven years and then they want to get their money back, means that your investors will have external pressure that I totally understand. I sympathize with that. It's hard to have customers on your back that say, where is my money? But the result is that they put expectations on you that are going to be hard uh, to sustain in the uh, short term if you think you're in the long term. Because something like bubble takes a very long time. Like firstly, if you think about it from the very beginning, you need to build a product that's good enough so that people can build their own MVPs. So an MVP on Google has to be meta MVP. And that already takes a few years because a few years because it has to be fast. People basically shouldn't realize it's built on something like bubble. So that will take you 
a very long time. Like I would say two years at the time. I wouldn't say I would know when, how soon we would get that, but certainly more than like a few weeks to get an MVP. Then you need people to hear about you. Then you need people to learn the platform, which is going to take time because the platform is not necessarily going to be good enough to be learned. So you're going to have to iterate a little bit. Obviously, documentation at first is not going to be as good as it should. And then once they have learned how to use the platform, they're going to be building something. And only then, maybe if things go well, Firstly, they will start paying and then they will start talking to their friends. Before that, they're not necessarily going to talk to their friends. That is a very long time horizon that I would estimate at like three years plus. And I, it doesn't really fit the VC time frame. Yeah. The other problem with VC is that as soon as you start raising money, by definition, you leave, you live on a lifestyle that yeah. you don't need, like you haven't earned. Totally. And so um, then you put you in a situation where if you cannot raise the next round, you're in trouble. Yeah. And we didn't want to get in that situation. That makes sense. Yeah, the VC merry-go-round is like once you get on, you can't get off. But there's only like one or two ways to get off. Yeah. You, you get acquired or you fail or you go public. So I'm curious how you sustained yourself for the first year or two without revenue, without much revenue coming in. Do you doing consulting projects? Do you have savings? Savings. Savings, yeah. okay. That's another thing. Like the reason why we didn't raise money just happened because of lives that Josh and, I, and, and Josh and I had enough savings to live probably like two years and a half in New York without an amazing lifestyle, but okay. Got it, cool, that makes sense. So, uh, now, however, uh, when we got the first payment was actually quite borderline. I'm glad the first actual payment ah. where we started getting salary happened because I was myself becoming a little bit at risk. Yeah, that makes but, sense. Yeah, yeah it's, it's so impressive that you guys were able to pull it off. I don't know. It's, um, so we ran into each other a few weeks ago at a Lean Startup event. Eric Ries just launched his new book, The Startup Way. And um, one thing you said that, that I, I, like, struck me as pretty uh, like insightful is that Bubble is like a, like a really enabling platform for like, the Lean Startup community. It's like the tool. Without it, uh, people with business ideas who want to start companies are like hamstrung. They, they need to find like, that technical co-founder. And, and this platform could enable them to like, iterate without it. Right. It, it's more that actually than the end of a starting business. It's more like even in a big company, like what Eric described, you know, when you should do in your mm -hmm. organization, yeah. you know, to try things. Um, Bubble lets you build something extremely quickly. Like as soon as you get, you understand how it works, that works, you can literally build an MVP for something in a few hours. And then even better is the speed of iteration. Like if something doesn't work, if someone tells you, hey, I can't see that button, well, you know, it's literally as simple as dragging and dropping that button and it's done. And that speed of iteration goes very well with the Lean Startup uh, methodology. So I'd be curious, with Bubble as a company, how do, do you think about Lean stuff? Do you have like your actionable metrics? Do you, is, that, is that how you prioritize what to build next? Yeah, yeah. I mean, we push code like probably five or six times a day and we have a very quick feedback because of the community we've built. Like as soon as something doesn't work for someone, we hear about it on the forum or by email. Mm. Usually in the forum, we're very fortunate to have a forum that works very well, um, that's very active. And so, yeah, I mean, now we tend to be a little bit more careful because what happens though is um, when you have a lot of users and especially apps working in production, you cannot change behaviors that quickly. So we push new features quickly. However, we don't change things uh, like it has to be always backward compatible. I'm not talking about refactoring. I'm talking about behaviors. Um, so now we are much more careful in testing things uh, like there are mm -hmm. things we just don't push and we don't pull to test to know that we shouldn't push them. Like what, what's an example of something that went wrong? It's not that it goes wrong. It's just like uh, we made some design decisions. For instance, uh, a very, a very practical example is uh, 
it's a little bit like uh, you need to know bubble a little bit to understand what that means but when you design you know a search in the interface for something in the database uh, and you say these constraints equals the value of that input we use we decided a few years ago when we started that if that value is empty we ignore the constraint which means if you if you imagine like an Airbnb type uh, page where you have a list of apartments if you don't put a mean price and a max price we show everything Another design decision could have been, well, if there is no price, let's say it's zero. And it could go both ways. That's the kind of thing you cannot change anymore. I so can't change. You can't change that because that would change apps in production. I got it. Which, so, is, which is something like... Um, do you not have a notion of versioning? Uh, we do for some stuff for the API and stuff like that. For the actual application engine, not really. Interesting. So if you change something, it changes the apps running in production right now. Right. So we make sure that never happens. Like wow. we, we don't we don't change things uh, that oh. already work in production. Does it feel like that constrains what like you know how better how much better you can make the product? No, because you can always figure out ways to get, to, to get around that. Like for instance, for this, I mean, we haven't implemented that yet, but it's on our roadmap. We'll do that pretty soon. It's going to be a checkbox somewhere in the application that says ignore or not ignore when the value of the constraint is zero. Got it. So you can build on top. Right. Exactly. You can build around. Yeah. It's a, Got it. I mean, it, it, no, I mean, it, it is certainly a constraint in some ways, but honestly, that's the constraint you want to have. Otherwise, that means no one uses your product. Got it. Cool. Um, so, okay, so this, this is kind of a, a strange question. So, so everyone in this world, is, everyone in, who listens to this podcast is trying to make the future of coding. And one thing that, sh that strikes me about Bubble is that it really feels like you guys are trying to make the silver bullet. Like you're trying to solve the essential problem. You're like tackling it like head on. Is this it? Like, do you, do you think that like in 10 years, like people will be like, yep, like this was the thing that, so like now you don't need to code anymore, this is Bubble? Or like is this is it like is it more niche? Because right now it's 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 successful, but it's still small. Yeah, like I don't think like is it the community doesn't know about Bubble yet. I imagine the people listening now have never heard of Bubble. Well, uh, yeah, I, I mean we're starting to work on that because we that needs to change. But yeah, right now um, our community is very strong but fairly small, and we're trying to grow it. Now, obviously, I mean to your question, uh, I'm biased, but I wouldn't be doing this if I were not thinking that would actually become the new standard. Uh, that's our goal. Our goal is clearly to be the new standard, which doesn't mean, by the way, that coding is disappear. It is going to disappear. Yeah, it's just going to be. It's good. It's going to be a slightly lower level task, and I don't mean that at all in a bad way. Like yeah. Lower level in the sense of the stack. Yeah. We, if you think about technology, technology is a stack, right? Abstractions. So, so we're trying to add another layer, which I don't think is actually more different. It's probably less, going from JavaScript to Bubble is probably less of a leap than going from assembly language to JavaScript. Yeah. What makes it feel a great uh, leap is because it's visual, but effectively I think it's not as big of a deal. Yeah. Um, but so coding is still going to be involved uh, and necessary sometime, like in, and in the bubble ecosystem right now, some people do code, you know, we have this mar marketplace of plugins where um, if a feature is missing, whether it's an element on the page or an action in a workflow, well, people can code them and it's great. I mean, the beauty of the model though is that once something is coded for them, uh, for someone, it's coded for everyone, but we still want coders to be on bubble. Got it. It's something we haven't pushed very hard right now because I think you need to choose a little bit your battles at first. And we decided that our product and communication should be geared toward non-developers, but we actually started to change that a little bit. Got it. So, this is again, it's like a weird question. Um, there is like a, a strong community who listen to this podcast and who are like trying to make the future of coding. There's like a whole research community. There's um, 
all sorts of people. I don't want to like name names, but there, there are all sorts of people. Like all, all, everyone who's been on my podcast is a guest. They're like trying to do this. And we've been trying to do this for, for decades. Like, what, what does everyone miss that you guys were just like, what, what, what was the key insights that everyone else missed? I, 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 I don't know. I, I, it's hard to answer that question. I, I, firstly, I don't think we necessarily have figured out something that other people haven't figured out, and I, don't, I can't tell that like, people have missed. One thing I can say, when I look at what some other people are trying to do, I feel we probably have a less academic approach and a little bit more of a business-first approach. Yeah which is let's create something that people want to pay for and want to use for like today. their business today instead of you know rethinking how do we make something that is in line with academic papers um, now and, and it's not that it can be blurry sometimes for instance App Inventor became a startup you know Thunderbolt is basically built on top of App Inventor which was started as a, as a I mean it's a research project from MIT uh, yeah. the involvement of Google um, so yeah I, I think another thing that happened, um, so the reason why I think it's easier to do this today than it was like 20 years ago is what's happening is the pressure, um, the pressure of the, of the business world for like technology and like especially you know web development is so high right now that you can go to people with a limited product at first and they're still going to want to use it. I think what was happening like 20 years ago, if you're trying to do that, if, you, if we had come with something like Bubble 20 years ago, at first, of course, it's limited. You know, I was mentioning our first paying customers like 50 bucks. Honestly, at the time, Bubble was not pretty. It was slow and full of bugs. But they were still paying for it because they, they had to, because there were no other options. What would have happened 20 years earlier if we had done that 20 years ago is people would have said, well, I'm just going to hire an engineer because, you know, it's okay. They're not that expensive anyway. I can find one. What's happening today is that it's impossible to find engineers. So people have no other choice. And so you can basically start selling making money, which is important. I mean, it's not like money is important, but it's a good way to build a sustainable business. And more importantly, iterating while having a non-perfect product. I think that would have been much harder 20 years ago, or even 10 years ago. Yeah. That, but but so I, I don't think it's, uh, people have missed necessarily something. I think today is the right time to try something like Bubble, or like making programming uh, easier and more accessible. I think that was much harder 20 years ago. Got it. It's like a perfect storm of people really want to create technical businesses right. and programs are really expensive yeah, yeah. so there are the, and also like technology is the right place for those things to happen like there are a lot of things cool yeah I, I think that you saying that, that you're you're not doing it like in an academic way I think is like definitely one of the striking characteristics of bubble the, at one point we talked I mentioned like how I'm obsessed with Brett Victor and I could remember wrong, but I, I think you said something like you, you like don't know him or you like didn't read No, no, paper. I mean, I've been following from far what he's doing. I, oh, okay. I don't know him personally. But um, you, you read his papers? Yeah, well, I've, I've mostly watched his presentations, to be honest, more than read his papers. Yeah. Um, I think what he does is very interesting. It's, um, it feels to be a little bit more fundamental than what we do. Yeah, I guess what, what fascinates me is like I'm obsessed with Brett Victor's work and his writings and like Chris Granger. And like all, there were, like, there's like a whole community of people who I like Alan Kay's work and like I read their papers and I see what they're up to and like you know they have all these insights and you're like very opinionated being like yeah it's neat but it's just like not really that relevant to me yeah I, I feel like in some ways we're a little bit in a different space here um, yeah my, my goal I mean if you ask me what my goal is sometimes I could, I could say like yeah to redefine programming but even more to be honest is empowering people to create things online 
today. I would say most of the time for the businesses, sometimes it's for side projects, but I want to empower people to create their businesses online. It's very clear. Which is a little bit of a... That's so clear. Yeah, that's very different than... And, and that does change, you know, some design decisions. I mean, that probably means that sometimes we might find some shortcuts that we have to fix afterwards, but we like, that's yeah. where we're going first, you know. Cool. Yeah, that, that's very clear. I, I, I like that kind of clarity. Um, okay. Um, so and, I, and I think another thing is, uh, by doing that, you basically talk to a different kind of audience. Uh, if you go for like a little bit more academic things, you probably talk more to developers. We, on this, uh, the way we did that, we went for people that actually needed something like what we were doing. And those are like, for instance, not developers, because non-developers have an issue today that how do I build things. Yeah. Developers, you know, they could build something on an older way or a newer way if you have one. But it's, um, so that was also changing a lot. Like the audience we chose was very much in line with what we were trying to achieve. Yeah. Um, I, I personally think it's easier to start something with non-developers and developers. Yeah, yeah. Well, so here, maybe, let's, let's, could you mind giving me some advice? So I, my, I, I, I want us to, um, or one target customer I focus on is um, students. They're non-developers. Those students I work with are non-developers um, when they start out. and. They want to make games, they want to make things on the internet. And right now they have Scratch, which is amazing. They have MIT App Inventor, they have a few different other platforms. Um, one of the things I struggle with is that kids can't really pay. Like just like, you know, the, yeah. so, yeah, that's kind of where my head, do, do you have any thoughts on like, if you were to start something like Bubble, um, but with students as your audience, uh, what, what sorts of thoughts come up? I mean, it's tricky. What kind of students are we talking about? Like high school students? Um, sure, because, or middle yeah. school. Or middle school, right. Because I would say for college, actually something like Bubble would probably be what they would need. Yeah. It's probably for some... Like hackathons, you, like hackathons, Bubble is probably their answer. You, well, that's more of how you reach them. But I'm saying in terms of, you know, the complexity of tools, of applications you can build. Um, I feel, I think if, if you're trying to, I mean, selling directly to students and building a business out of that is hard. Because as you're saying, they're not paying. I think that's a different conversation, but I would say there are two different options. Is either you make that as a non-profit, mm. which uh, some people have done, and then you can get funded with grants, and you have like a social aspect to creating uh, a tool that makes learning easier, or you sell content to schools. Um, but that one is actually pretty tough. That's pretty tough. It's, uh, yeah. Got it. So it's interesting. So you, your decision to sell the business like, Actually, we I've always been in favor of doing things with schools. Mm. We do some uh, more like in business schools. Yeah, uh, we, yeah, I we, saw do, that. we do some lectures. Uh, like sometimes I do some lectures. I went to Harvard University of Chicago. I mean, it, it's very. In some ways, it's more because I like doing that than a business strategy. Um, it's great to be visible in those schools because a typical MBA students or like uh, business undergrad students is a very good candidate for bubble, like as a user. Um, yeah. I'm not sure I would build our entire strategy on that because they don't pay. Yeah. I, 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 and, and there is another thing, uh, just to go back to yeah. the idea of focusing on businesses and letting people build things. At the end of the day, you know, when businesses use you, is the best proof of concept. That's something they works. pay you. Well, yeah, but not only they pay you, but also they test your thing in real life. Yeah. Which I think is. With their users. With their users and at scale. I mean, uh, we had one customer this summer that went viral on the internet. They had that million. Can you say which users. one? Uh, it's called Coinstarter, coinstarter.com. Coinstarter. Yeah. Uh, and they went on national television, like they got viral. 
Um, that's a proof that something, you know, uh, that your technology works at scale. Damn. Uh, well, I mean, it, it has some challenges and then we need to scale everything. But that's a good thing when you start working with people that actually uh, make our businesses because they make money and they push the product to grow. If you work with people that are not trying to build businesses, there is a risk of just being a prototyping tool or a cool tool to learn, which, I mean, I, I'm very happy when people use Bubble to learn. I hope, I, I actually have a vision where I think at some point, computer science should be taught with a tool like Bubble, maybe not Bubble, but a tool like Bubble. A lot of universities but, teach with Scratch. Right, but Scratch I think has limitations because as soon as you're like 10 or 12, it's a bit boring to have a character that moves and I think you could move into more interesting things and I think Bubble would be a great candidate for that. But, um, Sorry. But but uh, what what I'm saying is that yeah you you need at some point to go to to scale you know to show that your technology works. Mm. Yeah, I I'm I'm just so struck by how like that one decision of targeting business people who can't code, like how that how powerful that was as an enabler for you guys. It enabled you to be bootstrapped. It enabled you to like iterate. You turned out okay. Yeah, it turned out yeah. I'm like so, I'm so yeah pretty great. That's awesome. And, and like tweaking just that one little piece, like if instead you worked with students or you worked with developers um, or, or, or was hobbyist, like the entire business wouldn't make sense. Like yeah. it's, it's very specific, that, that one thing was key. Okay, so um, what about Bubble do you think you guys do really well and what parts of Bubble are you like still embarrassed about? Like, uh, oh, a ton of stuff. I mean, uh, you know, Bubble was two guys until four months ago. <laughs> now we're six people, so now we're aggressively hiring um, and we want to like to professionalize the organization much more, especially because as we were just talking about, since we're working on these businesses, we need to start being more enterprise compatible because some of the businesses using us are actually growing and they have higher expectations. So the thing I'm embarrassed about is, well, the, if you go on, on our website, actually, uh, like on bubble.is slash roadmap, you see what we have <laughs> What we have in line in terms of technical things, but there are a lot of things we would like to fix there to work better at scale. And then we need to you know, have a better documentation, improve our onboarding process, so a lot of things we would like to do. Wow, I love this, bubble.is slash roadmap. Yeah, you can see, so you can see what we are up to. Like, you know, we need to have like, you know, 24-7 support. The, like, we need to become a company that, you know, big businesses can rely on for their IT. Which is a very big responsibility, by the way. I mean, it's what Salesforce or Microsoft do. You know, it's, uh, it's hard for a startup to be in that space, but there are, you know, there's a great potential in doing that. So. so if you think about the different, like, things that programmers do, uh, they design interfaces, they work with databases, they do analytics, they version control. Like there's like a lot of different pieces to being a software engineer. What pieces are you, like, um, are you focused on now? You what? mean as for Bubble? Yeah, for, for Bubble users. Yeah. Well, we have to offer everything. What, like what's like the current focus? Uh, current focus is uh, performance at scale. Scale, got it. Um, but it's not necessarily something that our users have to worry about because we take care of that for themselves. Having said that, we're also providing them with uh, some tools to optimize their application because the way you design your application can have performance impacts. So we have like new analytics tools to see where capacity is using and stuff mm -hmm. like that is being used and stuff like this. But, um, but so yeah, our current focus is there. But that's not really something that we ask our users to be proactive about. It's more we have to just make sure that everything works fine. It's one of the big challenges of Bubble because by definition, when you empower non-technical people to do things, they tend to do crazy things. 
and they don't necessarily understand that you know one query is going to be ex extremely slow, and they just expect it to work, uh, and they don't worry. You know, they don't think in terms of indexes. You know, like database structure and all those things. And so we have to um, basically make that work for them. Yeah, help them scale. Got it. Scaling. Yeah, that's very clear. Right. But, but that can be sometimes fairly complicated. Uh, well, yeah, I think a lot of people said that like the reason declarative programming, like building this layer of abstraction over like JavaScript, for example, like the reason people said, one of the reasons people say that didn't work when we tried it last time is because like compiling from what business people want to do to like queries that don't take forever is like a really hard, like that's like almost a research problem. That's like a really hard. Yeah, and, and I mean, we've tackled that. So in that way, uh, we're not doing things in an academic way, but we probably work on similar problems uh, mm. because we have to solve that problem. Mm. Will you like publish a paper about how you solved it, or not? Not that's not what you do. So uh, I mean, to be very frank, I'm for that specific thing, which is converting like queries into something efficient. I don't do that. My co-founder does <laughs> it, so I let him say whether he wants to publish something one day. I I don't know. Got it. Cool. It's probably not the most urgent thing. Yeah, yeah. You're, you're working on other things. So yeah. So you hired four people in the last four months? Yeah, yeah. How, like, uh, how did you decide all of a sudden, like, you know, it seemed like it was quite a decision, like... Yeah, so, so the reason, so since we hired four people all of a sudden, uh, and we bootstrapped, you can imagine we could have hired people earlier. Yes. Bit, right? So the reason why we waited that long is we wanted to hire more than two people at, well, at the same time, um, just to create a team. Like, it's more, of a human thing, but you know, when you have two people that have worked together for five years, just the two of them is kind of an old couple. And so bringing a third person can be challenging for the third person. Huh. And we felt it would be better to bring at least two and ideally three at once, which is basically what we did. And then it became a fourth person because um, we had more needs. Uh, so that's the reason why we I've never that. heard of that. Did you try bringing a third person and it didn't work? Yeah, we, we, we did that for a few months, like two years ago, that, that was a little bit harder. So, so that's why we decided to do it that way. Huh. Yeah, I've, never, I've never heard that wisdom. Cool. Yeah. It's, um, and I'm glad. I mean, if it were to do it again, I would probably have hired, started hiring like six months earlier, but just six months. Yeah. Okay. Uh, one of the things you said uh, the first time we met that, that I thought was hilarious was uh, that you were really excited for other people to build competitors to Bubble because there's just like nobody. You're like kind of all, you almost want more competitors to validate the space because it's just like such a yeah, yeah, wacky yeah. idea. Yes, it's, it's actually one of our big challenges right now is, um, you know, the first time I describe Bubble, everybody's gonna ask me, how is that different from Squarespace? <laughs> um, Squarespace is a great product, but it's really not what Bubble is. And if we had more products in our space, it would be easier, you know, for people to see us as a category. Mm -hmm. Um, I'm actually starting to get a little bit less on the technical side right now and trying to move more into communicating the vision a little bit. And what I want to communicate is not even not, you know, use bubble, it's just, you know, you don't need to code to build things, which is something that a lot of people still disagree with, you know. And it's hard because the, the code brand is very strong, you know, the JavaScript brand is stronger than the bubble brand right now. So communicating and telling people you don't need to learn how to code when you know you have Barack Obama that goes on TV, I mean, that says everybody should learn how to code and stuff like that. It, it's a difficult message to convey, and the more people we'll have in that space, the easier it will be. Hmm. Okay. So which people in the space um, are you excited about now? That if there's anyone that that's on your mind. I mean, there are a few companies that are somewhat close to what we do, like Zapier, for instance. Yeah. Um, yeah. 
which is not a programming tool, but you know, about workflow automation, and you don't need to be a coder to use it. So there are people in our space like that. Uh, Microsoft has a tool that they call like Power Apps, which is actually in some ways fairly similar to Bubble. I don't think many people would see us as competitors because it's part of the Microsoft world. Mm. It's very integrated with Office and stuff like that. But um, no, I mean, the space is clearly heating up. We see also some people, you know, on mobile trying to... Thankable. Right, for instance, or uh, there is also like drop source. There are some drop people source. doing things in our space. Um, so it's eating up. It's not a big category yet, and I'm hoping it's going to get much bigger soon. Cool. Um, well, that's why we need you guys, you know. We need, we yeah, need people, people like this? Okay. Exactly. Uh, one question I'd like to ask is what, like, sorts of ideas or technology, like what sorts of things in this space do you feel like is over, like people are paying too much attention to? Uh, you just think it's like kind of... In our space? Yeah, in the future programming space. If you should, like, don't pay attention to, uh, like everyone's talking about this, but don't, I don't think that's the right way to go. To be honest, I'm not sure I follow enough, you know, the technologies around yeah. me. I'm, I'm busy enough looking I think at what we're like doing. You're, you're saying the whole space is like, don't pay attention to, just, just, just work with customers. It's a little bit that. Um, I do, I'm starting to see more and more startups like talking about AI and machine learning yeah. to make like programming more efficient. I think it's going a bit too far, to be honest. I think it's uh, too fast. Um, I don't know, I'm not, I'm definitely not an expert in machine learning and stuff like that. My feeling is let's try firstly to make programming that is easy to understand before trying to automate it because at the end of the day, Machine learning would be helpful if we can tell them a little bit what we want to build, right? And the best way to get there is to create something that understands our natural language, or at least that can be displayed on the screen in a way that is easier for a human to grasp instead of reading like these thousands of lines of code. So I think we're, it's a little bit too early to start putting some artificial intelligence into making the process easier. Yeah, I would, I would agree with that. That's like right now at Bubble, we don't use any of that, to be honest. Yeah. Totally. I mean, we could start but I think we have, there are a lot of things we can do just being normally smart, intelligent. Yeah. We don't need to be artificially intelligent. <laughs> yeah. So that's, that's for the next iteration. Got it. Uh, okay. What, do you have a sense, um, I imagine you're, th you're like a business, you're, you're thinking more about business stuff. What's, do you have like a, a plan, like a 10 year plan, like in terms of uh, like uh, revenue or number of employees or like, or how do you think about like the, the future of Bubble in terms of the product and the business? Uh, so first is there is what we want to achieve. So we definitely want to become the new programming standard for every kind, any kind of organization. Uh, you know, individuals, large companies, a little bit you know, like what Windows has achieved for using computers. We want to do the same thing for uh, programming computers. You want to be like a uh, $10 billion, $100 billion company kind of thing. Yeah, I, I don't know. I, I'm not going to talk about valuations, you know, like... Like mass, it's like, regardless of evaluation, you want I, I, millions of people using it. Basically, what we want to achieve is in a few years, when someone needs to build software, the first way he's going to go is, oh, I'm going to use Bubble. And then if it turns out that Bubble is limited in some ways, it will hire a coder to build a plugin that would be plugged in our interface, which already exists, by the way. Like, we already have this system to build plugins, but, you know, not, not many people use it yet. But so that's what we want to have. Now, what that means in terms of, you know, in terms of headcount, market cap, or sales, honestly, I don't know. <laughs> I would say I hope we can keep the team as small as possible. I don't think, uh, I think at some point having too many people makes uh, the organization a little bit too slow to evolve. Uh, but we'll see how that goes. Mm. And um, in the short, so in the short term, we really want 
to expand the no-code category, uh, and not just about bubble, just in general. Like we want people to stop thinking that if you don't know how to code, basically it's over <laughs> for you if you want to start a business or build something in an existing business. Um, so that's the first step, and then slow, then slowly start getting more and more developers to use Bubble, to build plugins, and to see that actually they would save a ton of time building Bubble for existing stuff and just spend time coding new things. Like for instance, building a simple web app where you have like account management system and a database on Bubble takes a few hours. If you were to code that by hand, that would actually take you more time. You have to handle you know Heroku or whatever hosting solution you're using. With Bubble, everything just scales out of the box. So we want developers to start realizing that it's more efficient for them to use this. And as soon as something is missing, to start writing code, because we let them do that. And then slowly, when that happens, at some point, we'll become the new standard. Now, I can't tell when that will happen, hopefully sooner than 10 years. Realistically, it's going to take at least like five. I don't know, we say. Yeah. I mean, my goal at some point is, you know, healthcare.gov, all those websites to run on Bubble. Yeah, I, I guess one that would take some time. That would take some time. Yeah, totally. I, I, I see the vision. It's very clear to me. I, my disconnect. I don't, I don't need to talk about valuations. I'm just. It, it seems to me like in order to accomplish something like that grand, you need like a lot of people working, like a lot of capital, a lot of people working on this. You, you don't. You think maybe you could do it without raising like ten, fifty, a hundred million dollars and hiring a hundred people. Honestly, we'll see. Um, I don't know. You don't know. We'll, we'll see. Um, one thing to keep in mind is, you know, that's what people talk about as a 10x engineer, is the more technology advances, the more one very good engineer can do a ton of stuff. Yeah. And so, honest, like, until three or four months ago, it was two guys, and we were handling about 80,000 users. And like 80,000? Right. End and, users? And, and, uh, uh, no, you, bubble users. Bubble users. How many end users? I don't know, like, probably like at least 5 million page views a month or something, and it was just two guys. Would that have been possible 10 years ago? No. no. In 10 years or five years, uh, probably we could handle, two guys could handle 10 times that. Actually, in fact, if you use Bubble, you can, it's even more demultiplied. So it's hard to base, you know, headcount projections based on past because, you know, technology yeah, like progress. Yeah, Instagram makes was it, like a billion dollar company with like four or five people, yeah. Yeah, oh, but maybe a little bit more with like WhatsApp, you know, they have like, I think like 20 engineers, yeah. you know, for this crazy valuation and crazy number of users. So, um, so I, I don't know. In terms of fundraising, um, we've been fortunate enough to have things go pretty well without raising money. We're, now we have six people, we're probably going to be eight people, as, honestly, as soon as possible. We're looking for people now. Is it, would well, you like to make a pitch? Well, <laughs> if you're interested in redefining what programming means uh, and make it uh, visual, um, please reach out to us. We'd love to, uh, we'd love to talk to you. To, you yeah. Your email, is that the best way? Yeah, it's jobs at bubble.is. Uh, we're looking right now for an so experienced engineer and a potentially a designer, actually. Got it. Um, but yeah, so right now, bootstrapping lets us hire these people and still you know, be profitable. Uh, if at some point it turns out that we're in a situation where it's pretty clear that investing money will return in more revenue, then maybe we pull the trigger. Mm. Like marketing, maybe? Maybe, yeah. Uh, there are a lot of things we need to figure out before being in that position. Then maybe we'll see. We, we did have some investor interest earlier last year, like uh, some funds reached out. It was not the right time for us to raise anything because it was just, we were making too much money. We could hire people, it was just the two of us. Like, I wouldn't want you know to have like investor uh, part of the picture yeah, at the time. Right. We might, um, and you know, when, right now, revenue is still growing like, 
you most of the time double digits every month. Right, it's growing by double digit percentage every month. Like 10. 10% growth every month? Wow. Yeah, I mean, we have up and downs, but I think the compound average growth rate since our product hadn't launched in October 2015 is like 16% every month on wow. average. Can I so, invest? My God. <laughs> well, hopefully, no. I mean, hopefully, we won't raise money. Um, oh, man. We'll see. That's amazing. Congratulations. That's awesome. Well, I mean, it's okay. I mean, we're not, you know, huge yet. I mean, I think we've only captured a very tiny part of the market. Like, um, I think the market is definitely like a thousand times bigger than what we currently see. So we still have a lot of work. Cool. So one of the phrases that uh, I've heard you say that I really like is that bubble is going to be a slow revolution. So can you tell me a little bit more about that? Yeah, so I mean, I can't say bubble is going to be a slow revolution, but I think visual programming is going to be a slow, and business people building applications themselves is going to be a slow revolution. And the reason for that is it's pretty hard for a large organization to convert to a bubble. Like, you know, it's a big risk. It's a risky move for them, you know. Firstly, they need to tell the whole IT department that they're going to have to work very differently and in some ways may not be as relevant as they used to be. Like a lot of people have to change the way they work. And so I think what's going to happen that is more likely to happen is new companies will be using these new technologies, hopefully bubble or like competing solutions. And slowly these new companies will be more and more. And at some point, you know, they're going to start being more than 50% of the market because of how companies live, you know, some companies die and some new companies um, are started. And that will take like a few years. At some point, we'll reach a critical mass, and then I think things will accelerate. But at that time, I think I would almost say the revolution will have already happened. But that's probably some, and then it will be much faster, so that will not be slow anymore. But that's, I think, many years um, in the future. Like I, I think I, I'm ready for to be working this for the very long term because it's not going to happen quickly. Got it. Yeah. So it sounds like your sales strategy is instead of like hiring salespeople, you're just going to wait until. The companies that you want to sell to hire people who are in a bubble. That's like, well, I mean, we 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 can't be entirely passive because if you're passive, uh, things don't happen. But yeah, like for bubble right now, I think we need to invest more. You know, in community marketing, making sure that people know that you can build things without code. I'm not sure the next hire we should do is an account manager and a salesperson that call companies, calls companies. Because honestly, if we had a salesperson right now, that would that would everyday call companies, I'm not exactly sure what they would tell them because they would tell them, hey, why, why don't you just get rid of everything you've done so far and start from scratch on Bubble? Uh, that's a very tough sell. Yeah. Um, so it's more about you know, educating the market, conveying the vision that you can build things without code. And yes, at some point, what will happen is that from the inside, those companies will hire younger staff or like people that have already played with Bubble that will bring us in, but that will take some time. Yeah, and it, you also mentioned that it's like a, a marketing thing. Like, the more success stories in bubble, the the more like the less people will be embarrassed. You said to, to like admit that they use bubble. Like to, to talk yeah, about. It, it's a little bit an issue we had at the beginning where some people were raising money and not necessarily saying they had used bubble because it was a new technology. It's like a secret. Yeah, like you know, but uh, but this is something that we're starting to see much better. Uh, last week, one of our early one of our customers in Paris announced a two million dollar round, two million euros, so a little bit more. Uh, seed round and they were studied on Bubble. So did, did they disclose that? Yeah, actually the investors actually after reached out to us 
um, like to have a chat. So it's starting and those things will get better and the more success stories we'll have, I mean, a $2 million round is great, but it's not, you know, Instagram. Mm-hmm. When we start having bigger companies that get wow. more visible, at some yeah. point when they will say, oh, by the way, I'm not technical, like a lot on bubble, and then, you know, our marketing will be fine. Game has changed. Yeah. yeah. But, wow. But yeah. that will take some time. Yeah, but you just need oh, one. Maybe not. Maybe not. Maybe that will go faster. We'll yeah, see. maybe one of the one the companies that you already have will maybe take yeah. off. Yeah, cool. I mean, but it's a number game because you know, uh, unfortunately, most startups don't do as well as Instagram. So you know, we need, you need a lot of companies so that one of them becomes a big thing. Yeah, I well, mean, not necessarily as big as Instagram, but a big company. Yeah, well, they, they say you know when there's a, a gold rush, you sell shovels. <laughs> yeah, so that's exactly what bubble is. Shovel. I don't mind being comparing to a shovel. <laughs> Great, well thanks for taking the time. This has been really fun. Yeah, Yeah. thank you very much for having me.